0: Welcome to the Good Life EDU podcast presented by the Nebraska ESU Coordinating Council. I'm your host, Andrew Easton. Thanks for joining us as we discuss the latest in digital learning across Nebraska and around the country. All right, let's welcome everybody back for another episode of the Good Life EDU podcast. And the conversation that we're going to have today is one that I've been waiting for for quite some time uh, as I've been going back and forth with Dr. Helen Crompton about, hey, when can we chat? about ChatGPT and artificial intelligence and education uh, and all things related. And so I'm really grateful to Dr. Crompton for taking the time uh, to get a chance to visit with us. And for those that are not familiar with her and her work, uh, one, you could go back and listen to our previous podcast that we recorded about a year ago uh, on our show. But uh, I'll give you a little bit of an introduction here from the start and say that Helen is the Executive Director of the Research Institute of Digital Innovation in Learning and is also Old Dominion University's Associate Professor for Instructional Technology. And so, Dr. Crumpton, welcome back to the podcast, first of all.
1: Thank you, and it's wonderful to be back.
0: Yeah, and uh, I'm really grateful uh, that you join us for the pod because I know that uh, this is a topic that everyone is interested in, and uh, some colleagues of mine I know have started to research into this more. And this is a topic, though, that you have a long-standing history with. Uh, this is work that you've done, I know, through ISTI is how we got a chance to connect initially through their AI Explorations cohort. You were our coach for two years for some of uh, my colleagues statewide. Uh, and as we've watched this technology just take off uh, in terms of popularity over the course of last year, really grateful to have you back on the chat. And so for uh, our audience, give us a little of your backstory in this particular field of education. Okay,
1: perfect. So um, a long history stemming from 16 years as a classroom teacher, then many years, 10, 15, going to higher education. But I focus very much on how technology is used effectively in education, effectively meaning helping promote students' learning. And so my research focused all about different types of technologies. I will say there's been two major game changers for me. The first technology that was the game changer was mobile technologies, being able to learn anywhere, anytime, and actually being able to contextualize learning, having those devices in situ. And then the second one is artificial intelligence. And it's so funny because I've been so excited about artificial intelligence for a good while now. And many people are just unfamiliar with it and I'd I'd explain you know this is a game changer this you don't have to notice it there all you have to notice is that your education your programs and everything are working so much better for learning than they did before and so you have a lot front end a lot in the back end that just drives things and makes things better but yes since 2018, we developed the ISTE course. I think I led the development that I believe it's actually the first in the world for teaching K-12 teachers. So that was exciting. And the progression, adding things in every year, the generative AI came in soon after. And it's interesting. I've done various courses and I've included generative AI but people often kind of question oh why did you include that you know and um, those that were paying me to develop these courses why why include that and it's kind of this you are going to see more of this in the future and then chat GPT.
0: Well and one that's a great segue uh, to chat GPT which we'll uh, really explore here in the next few minutes but That's why I'm so grateful to have you on the podcast today, again, because Helen, I know that you are forward thinking with this and have such a history that it's great to glean what we can from your perspective, not only about what this technology means for us in the classrooms today, but also for our learners tomorrow, right? And and as they get into, you know, we think about education as being a place where we're preparing students for the workforce, I know it's hard to project that far out, um, but we have to also be thinking not just about what the technology can do in the rest of the school year (laughs) and what the implications are long-term. So we'll explore all that today on the pod. But first, for those that aren't familiar with ChatGPT at all, help us get a grounding understanding of that particular AI tool and what generative even really means.
1: Okay, perfect. So ChatGPT is actually a chatbot Now, many people are familiar with chatbots through um, websites where you might have a little graphic of a little kind of a creature in the bottom or whatever and a little text box and you ask it something and it responds back. Now, you'll also remember that they're kind of very basic. We have suddenly leapt up to a different type of chatbot. ChatGPT is a chatbot, but it's like, Those that have watched Iron Man and seen Jarvis, the expert, or if you're a Star Trek fan, Data, you know that kind of person that you have interactions with and they're a computer and they just seem to know everything. (laughs) But it's kind of you're having a conversation. That's what ChatGPT is like. It's like kind of talking to an expert being, I have to Kind of be careful saying expert, as I'll probably explain a lot more about its limitations as well. But if you think about it, it answers questions, and we have already Google, the home of ubiquitous answers. So, kind of looking at the difference, what it is is if you type in Google, you know, lesson plan on social studies, civil war, something like that you will get a list of websites to say, okay, these are the places you need to look. Now, what's interesting actually, is Google has not changed search for the last 20 years. In fact, the only thing different that you might have noticed is the advertisements are more plentiful at the top. <laughs> and in fact, actually Google gets 50, I think it was, of their revenue from Google search. So there's lots of advertisements there. So where ChatGPT looks different is it has a search box, just the same. You can type in the same question, lesson plan, social studies, civil war. But instead of telling you where to go look, it tells you the answer, which is phenomenal. It's huge. So it actually writes a text response to say the answer to that question. So you might be thinking, well, if that's given us so much more. What's going to happen to Google? And yes, Google have actually, the moment ChatGPT came out, Google issued a code red in an email to all the people that worked at Google to say, oh, we're in trouble. So this is a big thing, and Google are realizing very quickly because Google always been at the cutting edge, but they are at the moment very far behind. So going from that, ChatGPT actually is owned by Microsoft, connected through Bing. And Bing used to have 8.8% of the search market. So if you're thinking of that to Google. The powerhouse google that's very low however we're going to see that dynamic change greatly
0: wow and you know as you were sharing that example there uh, actually just this week because i'm working with a social studies uh, inquiry project here and so it's thinking about social studies lessons but in the c3 framework and i did exactly what you're talking about i got in chat gpt and i brought up a sixth grade lesson and it spit that out for me for social studies sixth mm-hmm. grade but then i said okay now take this same lesson and then go access the C3 framework website and create this for me as an inquiry unit of study. And it went back through and it even layered in where I needed to teach the students about the inquiry model so that they understood what it was that we were hoping to accomplish. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's not something that Google can do currently. Uh, no. And so, yeah, I, I, it is pretty powerful. And I think we could go down a rabbit hole here too and say, well, that's interesting. How are they going to market advertisements then? And something like this <laughs> generative, but that might be for another time. So yeah. Just-
1: one more thing actually
0: go ahead. Yeah.
1: is chat GPT to create it, open AI, the company working with Microsoft. So Microsoft gave them a billion dollars and they created chat GPT. Well, with all the excitement, Microsoft have just given 10 billion. So what on earth are they going to create with that? That's kind of mind-blowing. Looking at ChatGPT for one, what are you going to do with 10? Wow.
0: Well, and uh, I know there's what, Vali and Dolly maybe that uh, are also variants of uh, open AI efforts, just in different... Can we take a little segue? We'll talk about those two. We're going to be all over the place maybe, but this is fun.
1: Yes, and so, um, and in fact, it goes back to your question before, the generative AI. So this, like I said, is the very exciting thing, is in having artificial intelligence generate things. It can generate pictures, like you said, dally too. It can generate music. It can generate text, like we've seen. There's, there's so many things. It's it's got a long way to go in many areas but these are all the things that it can do which is great thinking about learners that need support in those areas or just want to make something look better or sound better generative ai can kind of work with us i'm, I'm terrible at drawing and graphics and dally 2 um, deep dream and many other programs like that mid journey there's so many programs on there that are doing this for us. And what's interesting, actually, this generative AI programs, there's tons out there and some people paid attention, but a lot of educators didn't until chat GPT came out and it was kind of, what else is there? So yes, and hopefully not going too far, but the generative AI, DALI too, like I said, they are good. And so for those that are not familiar, basically you could do various image development with AI. So you could have a style recreator. So I could put an image into a program like Deep Dream. And I could say Deep Dream Generator. And I could say, okay, change this image into the style of Van Gogh. And it would, and it it looks fantastic. And it has all the brush strokes as if he painted that picture. So you have that, but then DALI 2 is another type where you write in text saying, you know, some funny examples like an astronaut building a sandcastle, and it will create that image. It won't go out to the web like Google, you know, and bring pictures in. It actually says, okay, uh, an astronaut looks this way. Um, this looks this way, and so this is what it should look like. Like I said, though, it's got various little issues with hands and things like that. You have fingers sticking out weird places or fingernails attached to hair or, you know, (laughs) so if you look carefully. Some are great, but some are not so good. But um, I'm sure they're going to put a lot of money into making some of these things a little bit better. But they're not bad at the moment.
0: Well, and that, I think that gets to... One of the points that I hope to touch upon over the course of our conversation today, and that is, what are some of those implications then for, you know, I think when we think about chat GPT, the conversation has predominantly, in my experience, been around writing, right, and and homework and those types of things. But really starting to think about if the future workplace 10 years from now has a chat GPT, whatever version of that, and uh, Dolly, whatever version that is for, let's say, graphic designers. I mean, that's certainly going to change Mm-hmm. So many professions, and so how, how we can think about uh, just like philosophically the work that we're doing at the moment, understanding these technologies exist and will continue to just get better and better over time. I don't know, maybe I don't want to go there. Some yes, of these I think reactions. we should go there. Yeah,
1: yes, definitely. For the fact that, um, I often get asked, is it going to take the place of what we do? I mean, are we going to need people to work? That's been a question that's been brought up by time and time again. When I was young, um, they talked about robots. And I actually, I remember being super upset thinking, when it comes to my time, that I'm going to get a job. Robots are going to do it. It's completely not true. What happens is all those pieces of the jobs that you don't want to do, we can get the technology to do it for us. Also... that doesn't mean we don't learn those things it's important because again whatever it produces we look at it and say okay that's great or "Mm, this needs work but for other people as well it greatly enhances the work at the moment there's a big thing with cancer patients and they're actually using ai technology to look across cancer screening it's not to replace it's an extra person kind of to look at something and point out things that then people with expertise in these areas can go and look and say hmm, let me explore that further but it's like an extra set of eyes an extra set of hands but for educators it's huge in that a lot of time we sit behind our desks planning lessons, doing certain things, trying to think up wonderful lessons and activities and questions even, you know, test questions. We don't need to sit away from the children doing all that. We can get help from CHAP-GPT and then actually be with students more often. So in a way, this doesn't mean more technology. This could actually mean a lot less. We just, on the back end, we get help. So with any profession, and I will say the very controversial comment that any person, and especially any educator that can be replaced by technology should be. Because if you can be replaced by technology, you can't be doing a very good job as an educator. <laughs> because educators do so many amazing things that computers, technology can't do, and probably never will be able to.
0: That's, you know, I think as we start to think about that classroom experience, maybe that's a a place to go next to, because I know that there's been concern from classroom teachers about what does this mean for homework, for example, and assessment?
1: Yes, Um, that is, I would say, the number one question that I always get. What about cheating? So it's very interesting. Uh, And I must admit, I completely feel for educators. I'm an educator myself. We've had COVID we had to make all the changes and go online and things like that for that. We've now got ChatGPT that's come along and it's questioning everything we've done in education. However, a lot of these things we shouldn't still be doing in education. We talk a lot about transforming learning that we need to you know, rethink, go out of the box. We talk all about it, but it's actually never happened we'll have little pockets here and there. But the majority of the educators, and I I have to give a caveat here that, again, working in education for that many years, we don't have time often to rethink these things. So we get told rethink learning. But you know, you don't have any time to do it. So we have to carry on doing what we know that, that has worked in the past. So it's now It's gonna be one of those times in history that we look back at this specific point, like the advent of the internet, and say, this is the moment education had to change. So we now need to be aware that students, yeah, they can cheat. We can also even use ChatGPT to not have students thinking at all. We could just get ChatGPT to do everything. It's um, just like the calculator arguments many years ago that yeah, if if you're teaching addition, but then just immediately just give the students a calculator and say, oh, you just press these buttons and it'll tell it for you. That learning's never happening. So if we use the technology this way, that's not gonna be effective for their learning. But if we look at different ways, it's super powerful so all our assessments and things like that we're got to think about what skills are we actually asking the students to do the big ones obviously we want critical thinking we want students we teach them as Mikichi said we teach them to learn but we do actually teach them to think chat gpt can certainly be used to have students thinking
0: Well, as a former English teacher myself, then obviously this has been something with regards to critical thinking and the writing process that I uh, have really chewed on quite a bit (laughs) is just to say, uh, as someone who enjoys writing, uh, I do understand that wrestle that comes with being able to try to best express your idea and the revisions and and how much depth you gain from exploring your own thoughts that intently uh, and on some level, one the writing process is expedited with something like Chat GPT because I don't have to necessarily go and access seven or eight different sites to then like pull out the information I might need to synthesize and put that into a piece. Now I can just roll ask Chat GPT to take those pieces, curate that for me in something that I can read and it's manageable, it's close to what I want to write. But then I can kind of build that out to my own argument. Um, is that is that kind of the way to think about this, because you referenced, you know, the advent of the internet, right? We went from Dewey Decimal System and pulling books off the shelf uh, to being able to go to Google. And, and so is what I just framed there, a way to think about leveraging chat GPT as the next iteration of that technological support of, uh, let's say, a writing process.
1: Yeah. So the way you are thinking about it, you're already an expert in writing, so you're thinking, well, I'm gonna leverage it for this, but for learners, they need to understand the writing process. Cause if you think about it, whatever ChatGPT spits out, how do they know if it's good writing or not? They've got to have those skills and that knowledge of what it should look like. But ChatGPT can be used for many things in writing. One of the great things is it provides really nice models of writing. So you could ask for, for example, a brief story. You can see that. You can also then click again, I want another one, I want another one, I want another one. And you can, your students can look for trends and even look and analyze. This is the big one for ChatGPT we're writing. You can analyze what it is providing to see whether it is effective and if it is pulling in, for example, the references or, you know, things that it should be pulling in. But also for learning, for thinking about writing, there's loads of other ways to use it, like prompts. Thinking about writing prompts, we as teachers, we have set ones and we probably go back to, just think it can provide all these different writing prompts. Even to go into perhaps debate, And thinking about that, like, um, okay, write me an argument on this from this side. And then the student can write one from another side. But looking at the model of what they did for this way. um, So I could literally talk to you for about three hours for all the different ways. Again, it's just limited by our imagination and what we can do. But it certainly helps with being able to show you a model of what good writing should look like. Um, Oh, and uh, let me mention actually one other. Think about your students that they do some writing. They can put that into ChatGPT, and ask ChatGPT to evaluate their writing.
0: Really? I haven't ventured into that yet. What kind of question or prompting does ChatGPT need? I mean, I'm guessing ask for things like, punctuation and some of those uh, grammatical revisions but will it go so far as to do some of the others as far as content and structure and things
1: oh absolutely and again just imagine i'm careful saying it we're talking to an expert being because it's not it's you know it's got many flaws but imagine you're you're a student and you're talking to an adult and you can ask them anything about your writing that's just the same as you'll do in chat gpt so i could have my text, I usually put the prompt first and then put the text in, but I could say, please check my grammar, punctuation and whatever of this text and I'll put the text in and it will tell me, or I could say, please look at this for um, arguments or persuasive arguments or whether I'm using passive voice and it will provide all that feedback. So again, it's like a a great instructor 24 seven providing that feedback, which is super helpful, especially for our students. I mean, we think the equity in this, all those students that had to even go to, you know, private tutors for extra tuition or, you know, do certain things to be able to pay for that. Now they actually have a captive audience with ChatGPT ready to tell them answers to all sorts. Again depending on how you use it. Actually funny enough, technically it's made everything equitable and cheating <laughs> <laughs> because you don't have to pay someone now to write your paper or you don't have to have computer science background to be able to hack in to get stuff. Everyone equitably now can just you know cheat away. So we just have to inform our students the correct way of using these things.
0: Yeah. And point out, if I'm catching your, your drift right, that it still gets back to your ability to assess the response for the value that you see in its content. And again, let's get back to the structure and grammar and that it's producing the correct information. Because for example, I just even put in who is Andrew East in Omaha, Nebraska. Uh, and it kicked back something that said that I was on many boards in the community Ah. and all of these things that were not now a portion of it was correct but I it also certainly painted me as uh, being much more active than I actually am and so uh, I was curious uh, is it I understand though that our culture today we already have a disposition of well if it tells me this on the internet then it's correct Yeah. So uh, that digital citizenship piece of wanting to make sure that the responses we're getting back are actually valid and sourced from credible sites and authorship. Yeah, where does that sort of meet what we're talking about here?
1: Yeah, well, first of all, it goes back to your question about replacing jobs and stuff like that. We're always gonna need educators to do exactly this. And then, yes, it actually, it's not always accurate. So we need to have enough knowledge about things to be able to check. It, what calls hallucinate, it, it, imagine talking to somebody that were very confident. And even if they didn't know something, they'd kind of make it up to make it sound believable. That's what ChatGPT does. I actually had a great example where I asked ChatGPT, what is the world record for crossing the English Channel entirely on foot, which we know that's kind of impossible. However, it said, according to the Guinness world records, the fastest time for crossing the English channel entirely on foot is 12 hours and 10 minutes. The record was set by George Rafe in 2016. And and it tells all these details on what the English channel is. And it tells you everything, but yes, it's clearly hallucinating and getting things wrong and that's what can happen which again is we have to check and also even get our students checking
0: and i think that that will forever pose a a challenge and whether this technology had to come out now or 20 years from now right Mm -hmm. we've seen this since the advent of the internet is the information that is being presented here accurate And maybe that brings up another question, too, that I was curious to explore a little bit is thinking about anytime you ask a question, there is a implicit bias of of an individual, right? Uh, And so does such a thing exist within these large language models or chat GPT where uh, they might be a little more um, conservative, little c conservative with their answers, uh, you mm-hmm. know, and and not give as much, not not have the bravado you're describing there. That situationally, yeah. it might say that's outside of my scope of what I know, or or even be a little politically leaning uh, is something that uh, I'm curious to know. Is that something we should be concerned about?
1: Yes, absolutely. I will start with one thing. It's not the artificial intelligence that's doing it. It's us. It's the data we put in that we generated. So I always kind of stop people. It's not artificial intelligence doing this, it's humans. So ChatGPT, GPT, for example, was based on data, very, very large set of data from Bing search up to 2021. They also threw in a large Wikipedia kind of set of information and then to develop it further, to try and get kind of the answers that they were looking for, they had coders, you know, they had human people looking at responses and saying, oh, out of those four responses, that's the best one. So thinking about that, thinking about the internet that fed in, thinking about those coders, thinking about the people that actually developed it, OpenAI, bias is coming in every possible way. Like, if you're gathering everything off the internet, there's a huge amount of bias. On the internet and so that's got all gone in those human people that they have bias probably and um, so there is a lot of question for example the political they are noticing very clear political leanings whether most people believe it is from just what's included on the web but you could have tweaks to answer things a certain way or avoid things they could have possibly put in but um, most people leaning towards It's just using all that past historical data, which if you think as well, it can be biased towards culture, race, gender, because we had a lot of that bias. I mean, people like to think, oh, that was a thing of the past, but not that far past and maybe even present day. So yes, it is super biased. In fact, one of the great activities that can happen with students is have debates, Ask ChatGPT, tell us what's the story on this? Describe this. And they can actually look for that bias to see whether it's happening and you can see it. It's funny because I actually asked ChatGPT about itself quite a bit. And oh my goodness, it is so biased. It tells you how absolutely fantastic it is. And it can do all sorts of things, which was interesting because it'll often say, I can create great interactive visuals and i'll ask it you know because this was partly connected to your other question as well but i'll say how do you create those interactive visuals and it'll respond saying oh i'm sorry yes i i can't actually do that so it will say if it's wrong it's which is interesting but you have to kind of challenge it on those questions but yes bias definitely
0: that is fascinating and to think too that you just think about what makes headlines uh strong statements that are considerably biased oftentimes not all but but uh, if you're pulling from that data set, and I hadn't thought about that that over if it's pulling from the history of text that's out there that it doesn't take going that far back to really get to some things that are just outdated in terms of values, views, and the sensitivity with which they handle topics and and so, yeah, what other questions regarding ethics, for example, should we be considering here while we're on the topic?
1: There's actually a few different ones with ethics. Where is the data going? That's a big one. Ethics in the house, students are using it, and plagiarism. Let me cover those really, really fast. Sure. So ethics is in where's the information going? So students can go in, put information in. And in fact, people actually don't realize this, but the for OpenAI using programs, the actual age that they allowed users were 18, but just March the 1st, they've just lowered that to 13. Obviously, because there's a lot of young users and they have to be with the parents. So, but there's that piece, but we have students, young children putting information in where that information goes, it goes in a huge set. I mean, people worry sometimes saying what happens if that child said they were going to a certain place or whatever? I mean, no one's really going to look through that. Masses of data to find that small piece, but that's still a possibility. But also who owns that data? That data all goes into the system and that's taken by open AI at the moment that are running that chat GPT. But there actually is tons of information from like Google employees that are using chat GPT, reminding employees, do not tell chat GPT anything about, you know, systems and what we use. Don't give them any hints, because maybe that could be searched and used kind of in a negative way. But now look at from a different angle going back to the student use, you have an entity, I'll call it an entity, Chat GPT, that's having a conversation that listens to you constantly. And how many young people don't think they're being listened to? And this constantly goes back and forth. There is the possibility that they tell Chat GPT too much information and rely on it too much as if it's a human being, but it's not. It's got I always say all brain and no heart. It's not going to help them always with certain things and providing that information across, you know, they need to be remembering it's not human. It's the technology without a heart, even though it might mimic it sometimes. So that's another piece. And then ethically, a big part, especially for those in high school, higher ed, you know, preparing to go to higher ed. Plagiarism, if you think about it, like I said, right back to the start, Google, when you ask questions, it brings up the websites to go look. This is grabbing all sorts of things. It's not just grabbing whole sentences, it kind of reworks all sorts, but it's still grabbing knowledge and bring it in. So having that cited well, is not as easy and what's interesting ethically is you could ask chat gpt to provide citations and it will and they actually look great so you look and go oh yeah i recognize that person in this field but when you actually look explore further often what is that hallucination again it's grabbing oh this person does work in that area like let's go back to social studies. You know, this researcher does work in social studies. Here's a title of a social studies research paper, and let's put a date in. And it just kind of puts them together. So they look great, but there's no such thing. You know, they've just added it around. So again, that goes back to that ethically. So there's the main, and then obviously the ethics of cheating. How to, well, again, going back to the big question of cheating is what do we do with cheating? How can we actually avoid it happening? So there are various strategies you can use. The first one is there's programs out there that have been developed like OpenAI are developing a classifier to tell the difference between AI or human. Also, there's other programs out there, ChatGPT Zero, made by students. To again classify, they are not very effective. I can say that from the research I've done so far, looking at those, they're not doing a great job. And plagiarism checks don't work, really don't work. And every time that they might start working, this is going to uh, adapt further, and students will adapt further. That they're they're not very effective. The big thing is what AI kind of generated was actually originally based on what humans wrote on the web. So I happen to separate them hard. And also I was looking lately, students have figured out how to avoid that happening anyway. All they do is put a few spelling mistakes. And if they put a few spelling mistakes, it'll just automatically go, oh, AI wouldn't do that. It will not make spelling mistakes. It must be human. So that's just such an easy workaround. But if you really want to use paper still, and there is a place, my class at the moment still has a paper at the end. The ways to do it that I've found so far, again, from researching is, well, the one, first of all, is I remind them about kind of an honor pledge that, you know, you shouldn't be cheating. If you get caught cheating, that you are using ChatGPT in a way you shouldn't, there will be consequences. I always kind of put that out there. So there's no, I I know about ChatGPT, If you use it when you shouldn't, these things can happen. But there's other ways to do it, such as if you get some text that the student's claiming is their own, there's ways to look to see if it was ChatGPT. Those that have used ChatGPT multiple times, it's got a certain format it has those nicely chunked writing, often like three sentences per paragraph, and then it goes to the next one. It always ends in a, in conclusion, finally. And it works with a beautiful kind of format, but it's kind of a telltale sign.
0: Familiar, yeah.
1: Yes. The other one is those citations. If someone's citing someone again, we can look at that. The other way to tell is if you've asked for a certain prompt and you know what they should know on it because they've covered it in class, if something else is brought in and covered, that's a telltale sign. And rather than emailing a student saying, I noticed you covered this, what was that about? Yeah, I I don't recommend that. I actually recommend having them, if possible, face-to-face and just saying, oh, I noticed you included that. Tell me about that. And it's a you'll see immediate they'll the flounder and oh so there's ways to check again the play you know the citations being wrong the format things in that you didn't expect or going beyond what you've covered in class you know or even just the level of it so there's there's various ways but a big deterrent is actually telling your students you know about chat gpt and you know of ways to look and avoid going past classifiers. So there's, there's ways educators can kind of do that.
0: Wow. What a helpful set of look for's, I think for us, as we, uh, yeah, kind of bring our conversation to close. I've gotten so wrapped up in learning from you today, Helen, that, uh, you know, time has gone really fast. And I I do want to bring up one little piece too, that you made me think of as you're sharing that I recently was at a tech conference and spoke with some individuals who wrote a book uh, that they told me they used chat GPT to fashion predominantly, uh, and then certainly did some tinkering with that in terms of formatting and, and adding to it in the grammar piece and some things we've covered today. And it made me start to wonder then what happens when we start to have AI create text that future AI points to, and that if nobody even reads, AI <laughs> <the> is <laughs> just talking to AI and It's just, uh, it's interesting uh, to think about it uh, with all this and so much to cover and so much to entertain. I I would say as a parting note here, what is one thing that we haven't chatted about yet or a message that you'd leave our audience with? And we certainly appreciate learning from you uh, over the course of the pod today.
1: Yeah. So um, I'll end on what you were just describing then as well. It can also lead to the death of creativity. If we're using all that past information We've got to be sure that we are producing new things, being creative. So it's the balance, again, of technology and humans and how to use it effectively.
0: Well, thanks for giving us uh, some of your time to advocate for all of this today, to educate us on where we're at and where things might go. And just grateful that you're out in that space, doing good work on behalf of the education community broadly. So thanks for your time, Helen.
1: My pleasure. Thank you.